Amen. Thank you again, ladies, for that. Take your Bible. Let's get over to Psalm 107. Psalm chapter 107. You might recognize that reference. Uh, Brother Josh read some of that chapter on Tuesday night, and uh, I absolutely love the Psalms. And uh, we've spent the last few services kind of swimming uh, in the book of Psalms. And uh, Psalms have a way, the book of Psalms particularly, have a way of bringing us to a place of praise. And uh, let me just say real quick, I know you're still turning there, but let me just say this. Uh, praise is a place that God inhabits with his people. He inhabits, his, he inhabits the praises of his people, and praise is a position that God's people should be in all the time. And uh, we just spent the week of Thanksgiving, and I hope that you enjoyed your turkey. And uh, how many of you weirdos don't eat turkey on Thanksgiving? Anybody? There's a couple of you. Brother Josh, what do you eat on Thanksgiving? Oh, well... I'm going to leave that one alone, and uh, but uh, Thanksgiving turkey is the traditional go-to, and I hope you enjoyed your rice or your turkey, and uh, whichever one you were eating, but I hope this, more than anything, than whatever you ate, I hope you praised God. I hope that you spent time thanking Him for His goodness, and just kind of basking in the great goodness that God has displayed to His people, and so it's a beautiful place for the children of God to dwell in the praises of their God. Um, I think every verse that we read on Tuesday night actually came out of the book of Psalms. And as I mentioned, I'm going to read part of what Brother Josh read. In fact, the verse he read is going to be a very particularly important piece of this morning's message. Uh, but the Psalms are a place to go if your soul is ever weary. If you ever find, and this isn't part of the message, it's just a free kind of pack your bag type thing. If you ever find yourself just weary, and uh, probably we have all found ourselves there a time or two, if you've ever found yourself just kind of discouraged, uh, the Psalms are a great place to go. Because within, uh, within the book of Psalms, within even a, a singular Psalm, what you're going to find is God reconciles oftentimes in Psalms the brokenness of this life and the goodness of God in the same chapter. And uh, when you read these Psalms, oftentimes they're a cry of the heart of the author saying, man, life is hard and there are circumstances outside of my control, but... God is so good. And so if you ever find yourself, and you will for sure uh, find yourself in that position, then go to the Psalms and just let them wash over your soul. Uh, let the word of God correct your spirit. Preach those truths to yourself and let the word of God just do a work in your heart. They're small chapters. They're digestible. Uh, for the most part, they're, they're relatively short. But this morning, we're going to head over to Psalm chapter 107. Psalm chapter 107. Um, if you read the Psalm, and we'll read a large portion of it this morning, but if you read the Psalm on your own, I would guarantee you would notice something very unique about this psalm, and it would be the structure of how this particular psalm is created. And it's really broken into four very distinct parts. Now, I hesitated to use this analogy. Uh, I'm not advocating for watching television or TV series or things of that nature. Please don't take that. But we all watch something uh, to one degree or another. So you're going to understand the illustration, but don't take it further than I intended to. Psalm chapter 107 is like, at least in my mind, this is how my mind kind of digests things, it's almost like a four-part mini TV series series with four different episodes. That's kind of how, when I look at the, the, uh, the 107th Psalm of this book, uh, it's four different characters, four different stories, and they're all bookended by a very particular ver uh, verse or phrase. In fact, let me show you that phrase. It's in verse number eight. It's also in verse 15. It's also in verse 21. It's also in verse 31. This bookended kind of end of, uh, end of the episode uh, scene is in verse number eight. It says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
As I mentioned, you're going to find that exact same phrase worded four different times in this chapter. And in between the recitation of that verse, you're going to find maybe seven, maybe in some instances, I think there's 10 verses where God explains through the Psalms a character and a story and how God relates to those persons. Now, Psalm chapter 107, verse 8, verse 15, 21, and 31, I would view it almost like this, the verse we just read. It's almost, and forgive me if you think it's petty, it's almost like the ending credit scene of that particular episode. Like I said, I hesitated to use that, but it fits perfectly. Think about the credits at the end of any episode. The credits at the end of an episode are meant to direct your attention to who deserves the well, credit. So as we read Psalm 107, what you're going to find is there's a story of a person that relates to God and how God relates to them, and then it's going to bookend or really end the chapter with this credit scene verse that says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his works toward the children of men. And each time this closing credit scenes comes up, it's a reminder to us as humans to praise God because he is a good God and because of what he's just said he does in the previous verses. And so we've got four episodes, if you will, to unpack this morning, but we still haven't really established exactly what the series would be called if you if you think about it like that. We know that the closing credit says God is worthy of praise. But why is God worthy of praise? What would the title of the mini-series, if you will, be called? I I would tell you it's this. What you're going to find in each of these four episodes is a group of people who cannot be saved, who God still saves. A group of people who are outside of the reach of any earthly help that God steps in and he saves. The unredeemable are redeemed. The ones who can't be rescued are rescued. The ones who don't deserve grace are given grace. So you have this, these, these stories of people. One of them's in a boat and one of them's in bondage. And, and Brother Josh kind of briefly alluded to some of that, if you'll remember Tuesday night. But it's a story and then a bookend that says, and God rescued that person, and therefore the children of men should praise their God. Well, before we pray, let's, let's just see the first episode, if you will, and then we'll unpack it after prayer. Look at verse number one, Psalm 107. I think you'll see what I mean. I know it's a bit of a strange analogy, but I think you'll track with me because of it. It helps us kind of digest where we're going. Verse 107, verse 1, or chapter 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, let me just say, hey, that's us. He has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. And therefore, we ought to say so. We ought to praise him because he's good. We were once bound by our enemy, and now he has freed us. Now, look at verse number 3. And gathered, this is what God did, and gathered them out of the lands from east and from west and from north and from south. Now, real quick, just contextually, this, is, this bears uh, importance to, to, to state. Contextually, this psalm, when it was written, would have applied to the Jews. That's as far as they would have seen it in their understanding. But I, I also recognize this. As you've been in our Sunday school study in Hebrews, we have found so many psalms about freedom that the author of Hebrews goes back and says, yep, God was talking about the whole world right there. Yeah, you thought that was just Israel, but God was going to redeem the whole world uh, and free them. And so absolutely, without a doubt, this psalm is prophetic to you and I today. Yes, in its context, God would redeem Israel back to himself from the north, the south, the east, and the west. But prophetically, he would do the same thing to you and I today. He would bring us from all the ends of the earth, as uh, Peter says, ye who were not a people are now become the people of God. And so, yes, God references Israel to himself and brings him, but he also freed us from our enemy. He also gathered us from the east and from the west. We who are not a people are now become the people of God. Look at verse 4. They, here's the character that he's developing in the first episode. 
they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Yes, Israel, but also you and I. And let me just testify, everything this whole chapter describes, describes my life, and it probably describes your life as well. Wandering in the wilderness in a solitary, lonely, isolated way. Finding no home and no people to call your own. We were wandering, looking for those same things. Verse number five, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Can I just say, check, check, and check. That was my life before Jesus as well. But please lean into verse six. You're going to love it. Verse six. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Now, for me, that was January 21st, 2001. And you probably all know that date because I reference it often because I am so grateful. I who was hungry and thirsty and wandering and a slave to my enemy and unfreed and bound, I was in the middle of my trouble, and yet I cried out to him. And he heard my cry. He set my feet on a rock and he established my goings. And I remember crying out, not knowing if you would even care. I remember praying on that day, January 21st, sitting in the third row on this side, not here at Faith, but up in Napa. And I remember he, I remember wondering, not if he could save me, but would he save me? When I cry out to him, do I, do I even matter to him? I've done so many things contrary uh, to just the, the goodness of God. Would he even care? Not sure he would come. And yet I found what they found. He delivered them out of their distresses. Look at verse number seven. Just, just read it with me. It says, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go into a city of habitation. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but I want you to read out loud for me the closing credits of episode one, verse number eight. Look at it. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your wonderful works to us measly, broken, wretched humans. Father, you shouldn't care about us, but you do. You don't have to rescue us, but you did. You don't have to pay attention to us and have so many enumerated thoughts that the, the, the sand of the sea can't even reconcile how often you think of us, and yet you do. Lord, oh, that men would praise you because of who you are because of what you've done for us, because of how you've pursued us and rescued us and freed us. And Lord, we're going to see four different truths this morning about how you relate to men who shouldn't be redeemed, and yet you still do. And Father, that ought to reflexively force our heart to a position of praise. Amen. Oh, that men would praise you for your wondrous works toward us. God, I pray we'd be guilty of obeying this particular text this morning. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Now, we mentioned the idea of there being four distinct episodes in each chapter, and each of these chapters contain a very specific type of people, and really, you could even say a position that they find themselves in, and that God indeed shows mercy to them despite the position that they're in. Now, let me say this. I know I'm cherry-picking from a message, but some of the people are in their position, maybe not of their own doing, but some of the people are in the position they find themselves in, and it was their fault. And what we're going to find is that God is merciful to the people who do not deserve it. Verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse 31 is where we're kind of marching toward. But before we chase down the other three episodes, I really do want to go back and kind of give you a title of episode 1 and, and unpack some of the verses there. Episode 1, we find that God can save the wandering slave. God can save the wandering slave. Now, I know we already read it, but I do want to back up just a second and look at it. In verse number two, we learn some things about this person. Look at it. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So the first thing we learn as, as God relates to this wandering slave is that this person is enslaved. This person is bound in their, in their, their slavery. And for you and I, maybe we weren't slaves to Babylon or slaves to Egypt, but you and I were slaves to addiction. 
You and I were slaves to the way of the world. You and I were slaves to the appearances of men keeping up with the neighbors. You and I were slaves to our own desires. And yet he rescued us from the hand of our enemy. Then in verse number three, we learn that they were in bondage away from home. God says he's going to gather them from east and west and north and south. And you and I have been estranged from our home since the fall of man. Now you got to, you, what are you talking about, pastor? Well, if you were here for the last couple of weeks, you know where I'm going, but for, let me catch up the people who weren't. You and I once were created uh, in, in our father, Adam, were created perfect in the garden at home with God, fellowshipping with him. But we broke that. We sinned and were cast out of the garden and from the presence of God. And by the redemptive work of Jesus, he's reforming us into the image. He's bringing us back from the east into the west and the north into the south to be a people where he is their God and they are his people. We get to be brought back home. The people who couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't have been redeemed. He brings this wandering slave from all the corners of the earth, wandering in the wilderness in a solitary way. Now, I, I know even in Christianity, even as a saved child of God, sometimes we go through lonely circumstances and lonely days. But before you were a child of God, you were alone. You were at enmity with your creator. Oftentimes you'll hear pop Christianity say, well, you know, lost person, you are, you are, you know, God calls you loved and God calls you all these, you know, beautiful things. But the fact of the matter is the Bible calls you an enemy of God. And you are alone without Christ. You are, you are without God and without hope in this world. And before Jesus, you and I were actually alone. And we may walk through seasons where it feels like no one understands, but he always does. And we may walk through a season where it feels like we're in a solitary way, but we're truly not because Jesus is with us. And that's the kind of person episode one reveals to us that God rescues. And then in verse five, I love it. It just, it lists it, hungry, thirsting, fainting. But verse six is that pivot point for this character. Look at it again. It says, and they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distress. And he led them forth by the right way that they may go, it might go to a city of habitation. And because all of this, because of what he's done and how he rescued this unredeemable person, the Bible says, oh, that men would praise. Listen, because of what he's done for you in your life, if salvation were it, you ought to reflexively praise the God of heaven because you were cold and you were thirsty and you were hungry and you were enslaved and you were wandering, but he established our goings and he is the bread of life and he is the living water and he's broken every chain you and I have and he's given our life meaning and purpose and established us in a holy city someday that's yet to come. And because of that, not because it's the week of Thanksgiving, but because of that, he is worthy of our praise. And listen, uh, that is the credit scene that we shouldn't skip over or zone out during, right? Most of us skip the credit scene. We don't care who is the producer. We don't care who was the set designer. It does not matter to us. Really, maybe I'm not advocating that it should, but like, hey, they worked hard and they should get some credit for it, right? Now, again, because we're so hasty, we just skip over it. But that's not a credit scene you should skip over. As we see this, this chapter unfolding and how good God has been to this wandering slave who was hungry and thirsty and he clothed them and he fed them and he took care of them and he brought them to himself, we ought not skip verse eight and just say, okay, cool, what's next? We ought to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. He did all that for me. He rescued me. I, I, I got to praise him for his wondrous works to the children of men because he shouldn't have done that. He didn't have to do that. And once we broke that garden relationship, he could have just destroyed the world and you know, restarted it all. And yet he loves us and pursued us. Praise ought to be the involuntary response of a slave set free. Praise ought to be the involuntary response of a hungry person being fed. It ought to be the involuntary response of a thirsty person finding living water. And every person in this room who's been saved, that's you. And if you're here and you're not saved, hey, great news, 
You are redeemable because our God is good toward the children of men. But now, episode one is God can save the wandering slave. The next episode, the next chapter we're going to get into, and again, I don't mean like chapter 108, I just mean this chapter of this saga, is verses 9 through 15. And what you're going to find, what it teaches us, is that men should praise God for his wonderful works toward those, listen, in the bondage of their own making. This is different from the first one. I love this portion of text because it is a powerful display of the omniscience of God matched with his omnipotence. Omniscience means God knows all. Omnipotence means God has all power. And so what you find is this powerful mixture is that God knows who we are. God knows what we've done and what we deserve. And yet we find, even with the power to destroy us, he exercises his power and will to rescue us from the bondage of our own making. He shouldn't have to do that. And he doesn't have to do that. And yet he still does it. This is what I mean by redeeming the unredeemable. Watch closely with me in this next uh, next section as this truth develops in front of us, starting in verse number nine. It says, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as, listen to the character development, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in in afflictions and iron." So you got this person who is, there's no satisfaction in their inner soul. There's longing in their soul, verse number nine. There's hunger in their soul in verse nine. They're sitting in darkness in verse 10. They're in the shadow of death in verse 10. They're being bound in affliction and in iron shackles. But let me ask you why. Why are they in such bondage? Verse 11 answers that. Because they rebelled against the words of God. And contemned. That word means to discard or despise the counsel of the Most High. So this is a different episode, if you will. This is a whole new kind of a scene, if you will. The first one is this, these people who are enslaved and scattered that God says, hey, I'm going to redeem you to myself. And then episode number two is this group of people who, because of their own rebellion against the words of God, because of their own contempt toward the words of God and the counsel of the Most High, these people are brought into the bondage of their own making. Their own conscious hostility and rebellion against God has caused them this emptiness of soul. They're in shackles of iron because they deserved it. They're in darkness and emptiness of soul because they've earned it. Keep reading in verse number, uh, oh, forgive me, that, that's verse number eight. But, so yes, they, you, you might think, well, they sit in this because it's their own fault and they should be empty and they should be judged and you know, they chose it. And before we would shake our fist at this character, the fact of the matter is every person in this room is guilty of every crime mentioned so far. We've all rebelled against God. We've all held in contempt. The, uh, the, the counsels of the Most High. Pay close attention to what God does to these rebellious people. Verse 12. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help them. You say, God's judging them. Yes, but if you pair verse 12 and 13, you don't have to look there yet. It's for their, for their redemption. It's his mercy. In his goodness, he is abasing these proud rebels so that he might bring them to himself. He says, I'm going to bring you low where no one can help you because I'm ready to help you. And until you cry out to me, I'm not going to redeem you. I I loved it, brother. Eddie said it on Tuesday night. He was talking about the fairness of God and how uh, in his own rebellion, God had to bring him low before he would humble himself to come to God. And that is a mark of grace toward the sons of men where God would bring a man down and God would bring a haughty person to their knees. Why? So that he could laugh at them? That's not the intention of God. So he could redeem them. 
Because when a rebel won't be humble, then they will not be redeemed. And listen, we can all testify in one reality or another. Before we were uh, saved, there was an emptiness that came inside of our life that drew us to our Savior. There was fear inside of all of us and agony of sin. And we were making our life harder and harder every single day, walking in the the ways of the flesh and walking in our our own desires. And God would allow us to come into some measure of bondage and some measure of brokenness. Why? So that we might come to him. And that is the goodness of God in this, this passage. Look at verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. So because God abased them, they had rebelled and held contempt against the, the counsel of God, and they would have none of him, and yet he brought them low where no man could help them. Why? So that they would cry out to the Lord in their trouble. Now stop. We might think, okay, well, God's going to be fair right now. And he could be. At this moment when they cried out to God, God could have said, all right, it's your fault. This is your own, tough, you earned it, Right? You contemned my counsel, I'll contemn your prayer. I don't need to listen to you. You put yourself in this position. I judge you because I'm righteous and you're unrighteous. But look what he says in verse 13. Well, it says, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. Just keep reading. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in thunder. Bands they had created for themselves. Judgment that they heaped upon themselves. Would you read the crescendo closing credit scene? Verse 15 out loud with me. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Can't you see the closing credits? It's like, look at this person who shouldn't have been redeemed. They, they were slaves. This person's a rebel. They, they finally cry out to God and God doesn't have to save him, but he does. Oh, that men would praise him for that. Listen, we find in the room today, I don't know all of your backstories, but the fact of the matter is, there are many people, you were in a mess of your own making. Judgment that you had brought upon yourself for ignoring the commands of God. Disrespecting him openly. And he brought you low. And he made you sit in darkness of soul. Hunger and thirst without answers. Even chains of iron, perhaps. Some of you might have spent time in those. And listen, the fact of the matter is, When you cried out to him, he saved you. And you should praise him for that. When you recognize, man, I'm in a position that no man can save me, and you cry out to him, he will truly break those bonds and truly bring you into sonship and bring you out of that bondage and emptiness of soul. He will give you a heritage as a child of him. And men ought to praise him for his wondrous works. It ought to overflow out of our heart that God has just been so good to us. Maybe we, we find ourselves, I think we all find ourselves in, in the first episode, but maybe we find ourselves even more in episode number two that, man, I remember before I was saved, maybe, maybe you were saved as a child and you weren't in all that, but maybe you were saved as a, an adult. And you were in all that. And you had contemned against God and you had shaken your fist at church and you had decided, you know, yeah, my wife can go, but I'm not going to go to church. I don't need any of that. And God should have opened hell right up that day and thrown you into it. He would have been just and holy in every respect for doing so. And yet he listened to your feeble, broken, pitiful cry for help. And he saved you. And he break them out of darkness. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands asunder. He truly can and does rescue the unrescuable, unrescuable, salvages the unsalvageable, redeems the undeserving. Number one, we see that he sets the slave free. Number two, he rescues the rebel from their own rebellion. In verses 16 through 21, episode three, if you will, men ought to praise God because he is merciful toward 
the fool who has already destroyed himself. So we've got a rebel in bondage. Now we have a fool who's been destroyed. I mean, he's far gone. He's, he's so far gone. Nobody can rescue him. Well, I know a God who can and does. Look at verse 16. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Verse 17 introduces us to our character. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. Now, that's really important. What he's saying here is the soul of a fool hates what is good and necessary for his own health and survival. Think with me, think with me, think with me. This is different from the other guy. This guy says, I don't want to eat. I want to do what I want to do. I, he'll despise the things that God says, no, I, I built into humanity the, ne- the necessity of eating. And the Bible says that this fool abhorreth all manner of meats, and they are drawn near to the gates of death. Let me unpack that. Because he is a fool, he tends towards self-destruction. Hating what is necessary for him so that he might chase pleasure and desire. Hating what would help him survive, or survive so that he might chase some selfish desire. Rather than doing the things that would cause him life, he lives for the things that actually bring him death. How would that even, how would that, real life, pastor, addiction. I grew up in an addict's house. I can't tell you how many times there was no food in the house because the money was spent on alcohol and drugs. Hating the food and the necessary things for life so they might pursue their own death and destruction. Chasing after things that absolutely rip away the days and years of their life. God has given them the things that they need, and yet they despise those things in order to chase some substance or some addiction, things that bring them more death and destruction. This is the fool, and because of this, the fool is destroyed, and rightfully so. Look at verse 19. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them from their distresses. He sent his word, and he healed them. And delivered them from there. Would you read the last word? So you got a fool who hates the things that are necessary for survival. They're destroying themselves. And they cry out to God because they got nothing left and nowhere to go. No one will hear them. And no one can help them. And yet they cry out to God. And he saveth them out of their, their distresses. And he delivers them from their destructions. What should we do with this? Oh, that men, verse 21, would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. You can't skip the credit scene. It's the crescendo of the whole episode. It's what points us to this position and posture of praise. That God is worthy of it. God is in the business of resurrecting the dead and destroyed. When everything is gone. uh, Listen, when you're not only bound, but you're destroyed. You are within the reach of the great God and Savior of heaven. This is the God who is worthy of the praises of men for his wonderful works toward the children of men. We're going to end here. Number one, he's a rescuer of, number one, the wandering slave. Number two, the the bound rebel. Number three, the destroyed fool. But I want you to notice lastly, we men should praise God because of his wonderful works toward the condemned and powerless. These are great episodes. I, at least I find them to be great episodes. They, I think you see why I had to pick the analogy of episodes. They're just different groups of people each single time. So what we're going to do is we're going to do some reading this morning to close out. We're going to find this last group of people that God can have mercy toward. And I want to ask you, did they put themselves in this position or not? Look at verse number 22. And let them, men, 
Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. That one really would apply to the uh, verse number 21. But look at verse number 23 is where we start seeing our character develop in our storyline. They that go down to the sea in ships, they do business in great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. These are men who are the picture being painted as a man, a businessman going on a commerce or a, a business journey through the oceans. And he sees the hands of God across the oceans and the seas. And notice what happens. For he commandeth God and riseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven and go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. So here you have a group of people and it, it doesn't seem to say they've done anything particularly wrong. They've gone out on a business venture and now they find themselves in the middle of the ocean and the waves are rising to heaven and dropping to the depths and their souls are melted within them because of what's going on. Verse 27, they reel to and fro. This is episode four and stagger like a drunk man, like a drunken man and are at their wits end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quieted. So he bringeth them into their desired haven. So you have this, this kind of closing episode where number one, he saves the slave and maybe it was their fault and maybe it wasn't. But number two and number three, the rebel and the fool, distinctly their fault. But then you have a guy in episode four who's, for all intents and purposes, minding his own actual business, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And the storm, at least in my understanding of it, doesn't seem to be this man's fault. The Bible says he causeth the storm to come. So that's God allowing for this storm. They, they didn't cause these afflictions. They weren't the ones who brought this upon themselves. And yet God brings mercy to that person. You ever find yourself in a mess that wasn't your own making? You have a God who sees you. You have a God who sees you when you're on your way, doing your thing, minding your own business, and bam, you find yourself in the middle of a storm without hope. There was no haven to get to. You couldn't get there if you wanted to. And yet God says, hey, I'm merciful to those people too. I'm not just here to redeem sinners. I'm here to rescue saints who are in the midst of their life and walking and working. So listen, once he saves us out of our sin, it doesn't mean he's done rescuing us. He's constantly present in the lives of his people, constantly willing to bring, them back, bring us back to himself and bring us to our desired rest in haven. So would you read verse 31 out loud? And we will close with your reading. As chapter four ends or episode four ends, it ends with this, this thought. Verse 31, read it with me. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let's pray.